This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The backlash against Canada Post's plan to end home delivery is picking up steam. This amid an increase in profits at the Crown Corporation. Coming up, we'll bring you the latest developments on the political front with MP Andrew Cash. Plus, it's been well established that Zoomers are a driving force as volunteers, and there's no better example of that than Etty Danzig, Pearl Meckler, and Norma Barkin. They'll tell us how a lifetime of volunteering with Naamut Canada has created lasting friendships and provided an enormous sense of purpose and satisfaction. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I just finished up another six months of chemotherapy. I had a rather large uh, operation, which was a colon resection. And I'm happy to say that my chemotherapy is done and I'm going to be doing three months of radiation therapy and uh, be getting my life back on track. That's Robbie Stewart, one of many Ontarians living with colorectal cancer. This week, there was good news for patients like Robbie. The Cancer Quality Council of Ontario released a report that found survival rates in our province for the most common cancers are among the highest anywhere. Compared to other Western countries, Ontario had the highest relative survival rate for colorectal cancer, as well as a high ranking for both prostate and lung cancer survival. $30 trillion. That's the amount of money expected to be passed from the Zoomer generation to their children in North America. The estimated number comes from a study by the consulting firm Accenture. The report says Zoomers are currently on the receiving end of a somewhat smaller transfer of wealth from their parents, which amounts to about $12 trillion. Accenture expects the greater wealth transfer to peak between the years 2031 and 2045. During that time, the company predicts 10% of the total wealth in the United States will be changing hands every five years. There's more evidence about the importance of exercise as we age. An analysis of 5,700 older men in Norway found that those who did just three hours of exercise a week lived about five years longer than those who were sedentary. The study was conducted by researchers at Oslo University Hospital. The researchers say that both light and vigorous exercise extended life expectancy, but they also found that doing anything less than an hour a week of light exercise had no impact. The study did not look at how active people were earlier in their lives and stressed that it's never too late to start exercising. And finally, it was a bittersweet wedding day for two Australian pensioners. Lee Branson and Sandra Yates have been best friends for over 30 years and a couple for the last 
eight of those years. For quite some time, the two women wanted to get married but couldn't in their home country. Recently, Lee was diagnosed with a terminal lung disease and given just weeks to live. Her dying wish became to marry her partner, Sandra. Their story was shared online, and very quickly, donations poured in to send the couple to New Zealand, where they could finally tie the knot. The two were married last weekend in a ceremony with a traditional Maori flavor. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's opposed by Zoomers, workers, disabled people, and a growing list of mayors who have joined a court challenge to Canada Post's plan to end home mail delivery. But the Crown Corporation is persisting with the idea, even though the latest numbers show its pre-tax profit has increased substantially to $22 million in the first quarter of the year. Meanwhile, the NDP is vowing to reverse the decision if it is elected next fall. I reached Davenport MP Andrew Cash in his office. The issue of the federal government just arbitrarily saying, you know, we're going to cut a public service without any real consultation with Canadians and then floating sort of bogus numbers that Canada Post doesn't make money, uh, its business plan is flawed and all of this stuff. What we found was, you know, in the last 20 years, Canada Post has been profitable just about every single of the last 20 years. Now, I I just have to interject because you're talking about the federal government, but of course, Canada Post is a crown corporation at arm's length. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It It is a crown corporation at arm's length that serves the people of Canada. Uh, And uh, it's incumbent on the federal government to show some leadership here. I've talked to very few people who are supportive of the ending of home delivery, of of Canada being the only G7 country without door-to-door delivery. And I represent uh, a community with many elderly people, many seniors, people with different disabilities, and also, very importantly, a lot of people who have small businesses that they're running out of their homes. They all rely on home delivery. And we don't think this is the right way to go. We think that, first of all, this is an important public service that Canadians need. And there's lots of revenue opportunities for Canada Post that its management should look at. And an NDP government would sit down with Canada Post and and work with them to to take a look at some of those other options that might be open. Of course, course, CARP is also against the end of home delivery uh, on, because it would mostly affect older people and people with disabilities. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have to say that uh, I was, as I'm sure many were, deeply offended by comments coming out of the leadership of Canada Post that said, well, you know, it's just going to give people a chance to get some exercise. Yeah, that's a famously uh, uh, bad gaffe. Now, in- well, well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that people talk to me about are the jobs. You know, and we've had a recent uh, CIBC uh, report that showed that job quality in Canada is at an all-time low. And so it strikes us that this is absolutely not the kind of time that you want to be cutting some decent jobs in the Canadian economy. We have a lot of municipalities who are coming out against this, and not necessarily so much because of the end of home delivery, but because it involves installing these very unsightly, very large communal mailboxes. Well, absolutely. Uh, You know, again, I represent a, a, a 
are riding in downtown Toronto and a lot of uh, duplexes, a lot of uh, single-family homes. Uh, and and uh, I don't know where we're going to put these things. Who's going to maintain them? What happens when we get huge amounts of snow and, and uh, snow plows are, are piling snow up, uh, you know, several feet high? Uh, what happens to uh, the security of people's mail? And again, we're talking about people whose mobility may be uh, not 100%, especially during the winter. Uh, and uh, where are the guarantees that people are going to have access to their mail? And, and I have not heard anyone talk about that from, from the government or from Canada Post. In Hamilton, they passed a bylaw that says that uh, Canada Post has to get permission to place any communal mailbox and has to pay a $200 fee. Mm-hmm. And Canada Post is challenging that. So do you have any sense of uh, how these claims and counterclaims will hold up? Well, I can't speak to the legality, but when um, uh, a policy or a significant change in the way things are being done uh, is announced arbitrarily from on high, but whether it's Canada Post or, or the federal government, without consulting with uh, with relevant uh, municipalities or provincial governments, uh, it shows a huge amount of arrogance, and uh, and and it doesn't reflect where people are at in their daily lives. So, you know, for example, the the the, the city council here in Toronto has also passed a motion urging Canada Post uh, to not end home delivery. So they've taken a slightly different. Uh, tack here than than the city of Hamilton, but you know we've had over about 600 municipalities across the country raising concerns. We've also had the Canadian Federation of Municipalities come out against it. We've had the the, um, the big city mayors caucus, the Federation of Northern Ontario Municipalities. I mean the list goes on and on. Going forward, how does the NDP? How do you plan to fight this beyond making it a, a plank in your platform? <laughs> Well, well, listen, you know, Libby, we've got uh, Canadians will have a uh, a big uh, decision to make in October. But I think that this is beyond whether it's a ballot question or not. This is about what's fair and what's right. And, it, and on the one hand, and it's about uh, basically destroying a, a very important public service on the other. It's the wrong direction for our country. And what we're saying today is that this is very much uh, in our sights. We're going to put a moratorium on this and we're going to restore um, the delivery, the home delivery to those uh, roughly million households that have lost it. Okay. Andrew Cash, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Andrew Cash is the MP for Toronto's Davenport Riding. I'm Libby Snymer and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, I'll be joined by three women who have spent their lives volunteering and are still at it in their eighth and ninth decades. I'm looking at a picture of your organization taken in the 1940s, and there are two women here marked with arrows. Who are they? Well, the one on the right, I'm proud to say, is my mother. Her younger sister is at the far side, peeking out at the corner. I have my mother is on the right side, And my aunt, my father's sister, is beside her. They are the second generation of volunteers in their families for the organization now called Naamat. 
The oldest has been with the charity for 70 years. 92-year-old Pearl Meckler is still active. So are 82-year-old Norma Barkin, a 60-year veteran, and Eddie Danzig, who has served the group for 56 of her 79 years. This month, they'll be receiving volunteer recognition awards from the Ministry of Citizenship at a special gala. They came down to our studios to talk about their lifelong work. I have been with the organization since I was 22 years old. That is 70 years ago. It seems unbelievable. There's been so much history in my life and so much history in the cause that I devoted myself to. It's enriched my life, and hopefully I, too, have contributed something to the organization. And uh, Norma, uh, what about you? How long have you been with Naamut, and was it your your mother or mother-in-law that brought you in? Um, my mother was the first one that introduced me to the organization, and uh, she was a very, very proud member. I joined in 1957, I guess it was a year after I married. I have to say that the first thing that comes to my mind is friendship. These are the truest friends anybody could have, uh, full of love, full of mischief. And Auntie, you're the youngster here? Oh, my gosh. Hey. <laughs> hey. My mother instilled this uh, feeling of uh, giving back to the community, and uh, I just fell into it, and I felt very comfortable there, and I spent my life there. And so how long have you been with the organization? I, I've been with the organization, well, with my club for 52 years. So what is your volunteer work? What do you ladies do? When I think back to some of the fundraisers we had in the early years, it's to laugh at. You have a museum of television here in this building where we're sitting. And my parents were the first ones that, that anyone in my chapter owned a television. And in order to raise funds, I had a television party in my parents' living room, and we charged 25 cents for the people to come in, and we served refreshments. The whole purpose of our getting together was to try to bring to life the dream of having a homeland for the Jewish people. What kind of projects did you raise money for? We always looked after the children in the daycare centers. That was our raison d'etre in the beginning. I want to get a sense of what you get from working together for so many years. We've developed such um, deep feelings for each other. Like a day doesn't go by without reaching out to one of the friends that I made in this organization. And I think that I am a different person for belonging to this organization because of what it's done for me. I don't even consider what I've done for the organization. The organization has helped me in so many ways grow and be able to speak and be able to run a meeting and, and, and so much for my self-confidence. It's just been amazing. There's been research that shows that older people who volunteer, like that it helps them in many, many different ways, and it actually makes them live longer. What do you think of that? I think it's true, because you never stop thinking. You're always striving to make yourself better while you're making the organization better. I've learned business skills. I had been a, a stay-at-home mom 
going to meetings, and that was my outlet for many years. Then I went back to work for a little while. But I was able to step into a job with a lot of responsibility without any problem. It just came naturally. I had done all these things under the name of Namat. I, I ran a bazaar. I had a setup. I knew things that I didn't know that I knew. What about you in terms of the skills that you learned as a volunteer, Etty? I'm more able to do anything. I'm very, very organized at home, and people who come into my home always wonder, you know, you everything is in its place, and so on. I said, well, I learned that in the organization. I needed to be, as, as a, a leader in the organization, I had to be organized. And in order to be organized, I had to have certain skills. And I uh, honed those skills until, uh, and there it is. You're going to be recognized by the Ontario government. Uh, What do you think of that? You don't do what we do for recognition. Mm -hmm. We do it because we want to do it and we love to do it and we get so much from it. But to be recognized for it is an added bonus. Okay. Ladies, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Pearl Meckler, Norma Barkin, and Eddie Danzig, members of the volunteer organization Naamat. They will receive their awards at a gala on May 31st. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break, and then it's back to celebrate the birth of Robert Zimmerman. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, an American in Paris is on stage. Craig Lucas wrote the book for this musical adaptation of the 1951 film with music and lyrics by George and Ira Gershwin. It's at the Palace Theatre. In Chicago this weekend, Rain, a tribute to the Beatles. It's a musical that takes you on a journey through the life and times of the world's most celebrated band. Rain is at the Bank of America Theater. To London, England, where you're invited to discover the story behind one of painting's most highly regarded disciplines. Inventing Impressionism is at the National Gallery. And in Paris, the Jean Levin Fashion House has taken over the Palais Galleria. It's described as an extraordinary retrospective, which presents the best of the Parisian brand created by Mademoiselle Jean 125 years ago. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date This weekend, we're celebrating the 74th birthday of one of the world's greatest singer-songwriters, Bob Dylan. He was born Robert Allen Zimmerman on May 24, 1941. Dylan rose to fame in the 1960s folk music scene in New York City's Greenwich Village. During the first half of the 60s, he stuck to mostly traditional folk and blues, performing on an acoustic guitar. In 1965, though, he rocked the folk music scene when he plugged in an electric guitar at the Newport Folk Festival. The audience reacted with a mixture of cheers and boos, and he left the stage after only three songs. 
He lost some of his folk purist fans in the fallout from the concert, but gained plenty of new fans who were eager to hear more of his edgy electric sound. Shortly after the festival, his milestone album Highway 61 Revisited was released. It was a hit with both fans and critics and to this day remains one of his most revered albums. Right now we'll hear the title track from that album. Here is Bob Dylan with Highway 61 Revisited. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. That was Bob Dylan with Highway 61 Revisited. The legendary singer-songwriter is celebrating his 74th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Louise Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week when we get some tips from the woman who trains elite athletes, including Joanie Rochette and Alex Depatie. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrea. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.